verses. They'll give us this concept that we're going to look at this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Uh, We'll say these verses in unison. We'll read them in unison, pausing briefly at the punctuation marks. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15, the Word of God says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth today. We ask that you'd help us understand these verses and the the greater concept of you as our heavenly Father. On this Father's Day, when we, may we give you glory as the ultimate Father. And may we learn from you about how to be the fathers that we need to be. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, please save those that are lost. <clears throat> encourage those that are uh, cast down, discouraged, afflicted. Strengthen us all and make us all more like thee, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> it is Father's Day, and I appreciate Father's Day. I am a father myself. We have three kids in heaven. My wife had three miscarriages before we had our first son. There was a time when I wondered if we would ever have children. I remember my wife and I, after those miscarriages, there's one Christmas before she was expecting Paul. We were sitting at Christmas with family, and we were so grateful to watch our nephews and niece open presents, but we also sit there with tears running down our face wondering if we would ever have children of our own. Uh, and now we have tears running down in our face because we have children. <laughs> and <laughs> That's not true most of the time. And, uh, <clears throat> but we, we wondered if that was ever going to be the case, and God gifted us. And I remember the, the first time uh, my wife told me that she was expecting what a, a tremendous day that was. And then the nine months looking up to it, and then... Uh, my son was a week late, and then my two daughters were uh, both almost a month early. Uh, so but I remember those days. I remember being in the room when my son was born and seeing him for the first time and uh, cutting the cord and just looking at him, and this is my son. My wife and I crying, and I reached out with my little finger to touch his hand, and his little hand wrapped around my finger. Uh, and I just love my kids. And I'm sure that every parent in the room feels that way. I love my kids. I'm, I'm proud of my kids uh, and would do anything for them that's right and proper and good for them. Uh, and I'm glad I can say that, that I'm a father. And, of course, on Mother's Day, we talk about mothers. If you're a parent, you know the type of love that we feel, and the type of, of dedication. <clears throat> God intended for... <clears throat> children to have uh, a mom and a dad uh, because they both provide different things into the family. Unfortunately, in these days, uh, some families grow up where there's single parents and uh, some children don't have the dad in their life or don't have the mom in their life. My personal story is my parents were divorced when I was about three years of age. I don't remember them ever being together. Uh, I got to see my dad every other weekend growing up. 
And as much as I appreciated that and loved him, it was kind of awkward getting reacclimated every few weeks. And by the time everything gets comfortable and you get a few hours of, of man, this is really great, the clock starts over again. And, <clears throat> and my parents were always good, though, at not blaming each other. I'm really thankful for that. As much as they didn't get along, they didn't put me in the middle of it. And I appreciate that. I know some people watching online and perhaps even here today, you didn't have a dad in your life. And, and there's a verse that really helped me as a teenager. When I was 15, I was very angry, very bitter. <clears throat> but when I got saved when I was 16, there was a verse that helped me make peace with my family situation. And that verse, Psalm 2710, when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. And I encourage you here this morning, if you didn't have a mom or a dad in your life, or perhaps uh, they were in your life, but, but instead of being helpful, were hurtful, sometimes those things happen. Uh, I can assure you that there is a God who, if you don't have a mom or dad in your life the way that he intended for them to be, then God will reach into your life in a very special way if you turn to him. And I began to have a, just a wonderful relationship with my heavenly father after I got saved. And uh, still to this day, I am incredibly grateful for my heavenly father. And that's what we're going to talk about today is our heavenly father. Fathers are representative of God the father in the home. And I think if, if you're a father, then it's so important that you strive to be the man that God wants you to be. I didn't have the, the Christian home growing up, and, and I didn't have the relationship with my dad that I wanted. I knew my dad loved me, but uh, we never had the relationship that either one of us really wanted because of, of circumstances. But that made me all the more that whenever I became a father, I wanted to do things differently. And even whenever you have a difficult time growing up or your relationship with your parents is complicated... All that needs to do is just make you say, hey, I'm not going to make those mistakes. I'm going to do what they did right. I'm going to continue those things. And I'm going to not do the things that hurt me. And I'm going to try to be a better parent for my children. And uh, that's what we've tried to do. And, and it's incumbent on each one of us fathers. No father's perfect. No mother's perfect. And parents... Uh, children shouldn't expect parents to be perfect any more than parents should expect children to be perfect. Uh, but we should strive with all sincerity to be a good model of what God intended in our homes. Amen? And maybe if you got saved later in life, maybe you say, boy, I didn't have that when my kids were young. Or you know what, I, I wasn't in a good place when my kids were young. Then I have seen Christian grandparents really begin to model that uh, and one reason why I'm standing here today is I had uh, grandparents who, although they had a ton of problems themselves, they tried to take me to church. And it wasn't even always good churches, but they tried to take me to church. They tried to model some things in my life and, and point out some things uh, that, that perhaps they didn't do right in their own families. And a Christian grandparents can have an incredible impact. Christian aunts and uncles and 
cousins and family members and and all of this. We can all have an impact in our world around us. But there's something special about uh, fathers. Fathers are instructed to love, to provide, to protect their families. And our goal is to be a good example of our Heavenly Father. As we often do, we go to the Bible, or to, to the, before we go to the Bible, we go to the uh, dictionary to learn what is a father. Noah Webster's 1820 dictionary gives, he actually gives 12 definitions of a father. We're not going to go through all those today. Uh, but he gave two that's important for us today. Number one, he said that uh, a father is, is one who begets a child. Just one who has a child. But I'd like to make the distinction today, there's a large difference in siring a child and being a good father. Uh, There are people everywhere that have children, but they're not a good father, not involved in their lives. And I think each one of us who are dads, who are parents, it's important that we say, I want to do more than just have children walking on earth with my DNA I want to be the kind of father that God wants me to be. Uh, And by the way, you young ladies, you need to marry someone that's going to try to be the kind of husband and father that God wants them to be. You know, the the looks are fine and the, the muscles are great in the beginning, but if they don't know how to treat you and they don't have character and they can't work and and all of those things, those looks go out the window real fast, don't they? Uh, You need to find someone with character and someone who loves God and someone who's going to strive to be uh, the right kind of man. Noah Webster's second definition of a father is one who feeds and supports or exercises paternal care over another. And so, yes, having someone with your DNA can make you a father, but even though the important work of a father, that's, it's much more difficult and much more important, is taking the role of a father, one who feeds and supports and exercises paternal care over another. Uh, I had a stepdad growing up. And for much of my growing up years, I was, I was very grateful that he treated me like one of his own. I grew up with... Uh, my mom, of course, and then when I was about seven, she got remarried. I had an older sister, April, about five years older than me, uh, and April and I lived with, with mom and, and our stepdad, uh, and then we had four younger brothers and sisters, and you've met uh, most of those that, that lived in the same house with us. I also have two stepsisters and a half-brother on my dad's side, and I pray for them often. Uh, and <clears throat> But family life can get complicated, can't it? But I'm thankful that I had a stepdad that for, for most of my life treated me like one of his own and didn't uh, point me out. He took upon himself the role of a father. Let me encourage you, if you're here today and you're a stepdad or you are a, an, an adoptive father or you can have a huge impact in someone's life uh, if, if you're willing to take upon that role of father and praise God for all those who do. I'm thankful for single moms, and let me give a shout out to the single moms, and uh, we've had amazing single moms over the years, and, and even sometimes single dads who circumstances were not what you had hoped, and you had to take on the role of mom and dad, 
And let me tell you, that's a tough, tough job. I know just a little bit about it, nothing like you folks have done, but my wife has been so sick at times that I've had to be mom and dad. And let me tell you, I'm not a very good mom. (laughs) I'm just not equipped for it. Uh, And it's hard to be mom and dad, but praise God for those of you who do your best, you work your fingers to the bone, you you make your uh, kids, your family the absolute priority. And you young people, if you've got single parents, make sure that you are, are helping them making their job as easy as possible because you have no idea how difficult it is. And one of these days you're going to thank God for someone who loved you so much. I'm glad as we transition to understanding who our Heavenly Father is, our text verse here this morning says, Your Heavenly Father in verse 14. Your Heavenly Father. So we know what earthly fathers are. Who's our Heavenly Father? Well, one who begets. And of course, when we are saved, when our sins are forgiven, we are born again into the family of God. God is our, our Father by birth. But also the definition that a father is one who feeds and supports and exercises paternal care. And our God, our heavenly father, he takes ownership of us. He takes care of us. He's our father in the sense that he provides for us. He puts a roof over our head and gives us a a earth to live in and air to breathe and food to eat and water to drink and and, and all of these wonderful things. And he loves us as a, a father. And it, it's sad that most people don't know God as their father. Because you can find great strength and comfort in God as your heavenly father. Have you ever heard someone say we are all God's children? And that's a nice saying. But I have to be honest with you. It's technically not correct. From the biblical perspective, we are all God's creation. And if you want to call the creator-creation relationship has some elements of, of a fatherly relationship, then there's, you can make those, those analogies. But technically, the scripture says that not everybody is God's child. Well, the question becomes, how do you become God's child? And the Bible's very clear that we become God's child through salvation. Hold your place here and look at at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, Jesus was uh, arguing with the Pharisees. Actually, they were arguing with him. And (laughs) Jesus reveals an important doctrine that's found all throughout the Scripture, is that if you're not born again, if you're not forgiven of your sins, then God technically is not your father. And Jesus said in John eight forty four, these are harsh words, but they were said by the Son of God Himself, Year of your father, the who? The devil. The devil. Ouch! At the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning uh, and abode not in the truth uh, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. So they were arguing over uh, the relationship to God. And they said, they were calling Jesus, basically, this is a harsh portion of Scripture, they were calling Jesus an illegitimate child. Uh, You're not virgin born, they said, you're an illegitimate, You're uh, you're an illegitimate child, and God's not your father. And he said, he said, you're of your father, the devil. And, of course, Jesus is the only begotten, virgin-born Son of God. 
But he reveals that these people, the reason why they were struggling with these things is because lost people do not have God as their father. When, when we are born into sin, we choose to sin, then uh, that sin nature has one father, and that father is, is the devil. Because he sinned, and we follow and are contaminated with his sin. But wait a minute, the good news is, that anybody can become a child of God. So we're not born as children of God when we're born physically, but we do become the children of God when we're born spiritually. Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1, the Bible tells us how to become the children of God. And the Bible says very clearly in verse 12, but as many as received him, him is talking about Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe in His, that's Jesus' name. So how do we become a child of God? We receive Jesus and we believe in His name. And then verse 13 says, Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor, <clears throat> nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So this is not a physical birth, it's a spiritual birth. So I was born of my parents October 4th, 19... 19- <laughs> And uh, no, 1976. For some of you, that seems ancient. For you older folks, it's like, oh, he's just a baby. And uh, 1976 is, is when I was born. I was born physically into this life. I had life, 10 fingers, 10 toes, two eyes, everything I would ever have. I grew into a young man, but I got born again when I was 16 years old. So at 16, I became a child of God because I... I came to the place in my life where I realized, you know what, I'm a sinner. I can't get to heaven on my own, and I don't want to live separated from God forever in this terrible place called hell. But I realized from the Bible, and a man showed me, that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. And on the cross, He took all of my sin upon Him so that I could be forgiven. He died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And when he rose again, he defeated death and hell. And because he came back alive, that's my confidence that he can keep me spiritually alive forever. And as a 16-year-old boy, I said, you know what? I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven on my own. I believe Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for me, was buried and rose again. And I put my trust in Jesus. It wasn't joining a club. It wasn't giving a bunch of money. It wasn't getting some weird tattoo or branding. It was simply I bowed my head and asked Jesus Christ to forgive my sin the best I knew how. And in a a miraculous transaction I can't explain, God took all my sins away and gave me the righteousness of His perfect Son. And now when God looks at me, He doesn't see the old sinner Paul Chapman. He sees His Son. Isn't that a blessing? That's how you become a child of God. We're not born children of God naturally. We're born children of God when we are born again through faith in Jesus Christ. Of course, John chapter 3 talks about that, Romans chapter 8, and so on. So now we realize if you're here this morning and you're born again, you are the child of God. If you're here this morning and you're not born again, you're not sure your sins are forgiven and you're going to go to heaven, then today's a wonderful day to take care of that. Wonderful day to put your faith in Jesus once and for all. But now that I'm saved, God is my heavenly Father. Think about that. He's my heavenly Father. And I'm so grateful for that. The phrase heavenly Father is used six times in the King James Bible. And for the last 15 minutes we have, I want to take you through these six examples 
uh, and show you six characteristics of our Heavenly Father, why we can trust Him, and also how we can become fathers like our Heavenly Father. We find our first instance here in Matthew chapter 6. If you look at verse 14, Jesus gives this often misunderstood uh, instruction, verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So wait a minute, we see characteristic number one, our heavenly Father forgives. Our heavenly Father forgives. Let me ask you a question, are you a forgiving person? Or are you a grudge holder? Are you someone that wants revenge? Or are you one that's quick to forgive? The Bible teaches us here that our Father forgives and He expects us to forgive. Now this passage deals with forgiveness and when we, when we study the Bible we find two types of forgiveness. The first, uh, our Heavenly Father gives us the forgiveness of sin for eternal salvation. We just talked about that. Our Heavenly Father forgives our sinfulness and makes us His children. Now, some people understand this verse to mean that if you have someone in your life that you don't forgive, that that means you're not going to go to heaven. But is that technically what it says? Is heaven mentioned here? No. Is eternity mentioned here? No. We've already explained that forgiveness of sin is found through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There is nowhere in the Bible that says if you don't when it's talking about eternal salvation, if you don't forgive, I'm not going to forgive you. And I'm going to explain to you what this verse means. I don't believe it's talking about eternal salvation. We know that forgiveness of sin is found through the blood. Ephesians 1.7, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of of Christ. It's Christ's shed blood that paid for our sin. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation or behavior received by tradition from your fathers, but with precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He said you're not saved by your behavior. You're not saved by your traditions. You're saved by the blood of Christ. 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. See, everywhere you look in the Bible, you find that God's plan of salvation is consistent. Jesus shed blood, purchased our salvation, and that purchase is activated when we put our personal faith in Christ. It's almost like if God says, I've got a million dollars sitting over here in this bank account. If you ask me for it and believe that it's there and ask me for it, then I'll give it to you. But you know, if you never believe and ask him for it, it just sits there. And there's a lot of people whose eternal sin has been paid for, but it's still sitting in the account unused. But I'm glad when I was 16, I realized, hey, I believe that that's there and I'm asking you to do it for me. And God gave me access to that beautiful bank account called salvation. And now I get the eternal benefit of that. And so a salvation is always bought through the blood of Jesus Christ and activated through personal faith in the person work of Jesus Christ. So there's two types of forgiveness we're talking about. One is the forgiveness of sin for eternal salvation. 
The second is the forgiveness of sin for earthly success. Earthly success. I think that if you've been alive very long, you know that unforgiveness causes a lot of trouble in our lives, doesn't it? It's hard to be successful in this life when we're harboring unforgiveness. Unforgiveness causes something called bitterness. Imagine if you got a wound on your arm and you didn't clean it out and get the antibiotics and get it stitched up properly and you just let it fester, infection sets in. That infection starts to just disseminate through the flesh and if you're not careful it can even get into the bone. And if you don't take care of that, you can lose an arm. You can lose your life. Whenever we don't forgive, imagine the offense is like that open wound. When we don't forgive, that infection calls bitterness sets in. And Hebrews chapter 12 talks a lot about that infection called bitterness and it defiles our lives and then it causes us to hurt other people because unforgiveness is a stain. It's, a, it's an infection that causes us to hurt and to hurt others. But when we forgive, it's like cleaning out that, all that wound and letting it heal properly. I have a scar right above my eyebrow right here. And uh, in sixth grade, some guys, we had a pretty tall slide on our elementary playground. And some guys got the idea to run down the slide. So we would run up the slide. But there were some rather athletic young men that could run down the slide. I thought, if they can do it, I can do it. The problem was, I was not very athletic. And so I took about one step, two step, and did a, just a nosedive off of that tall ladder. And uh, we had that pea gravel around the bottom of the slide. And I just went head first into that pea gravel, split my, my head wide open, had about an inch and a half opening there, and it was just sitting there wide and actually had some gravel and dirt in it. And so I had to call my mom, and mom had to take me to the doctor. And uh, before they stitched me up, they said, we've got to clean this thing out. Well, he starts getting out all these tools, like wire brushes and uh, electric sanders. And it, didn't, it wasn't that, but that's what, it, that's what it felt like. You know, he's getting out all these tools. He's like, we've got to clean this thing out. And they actually gave me shots all around it. And then he's in, inside my head. So if, if there's anything wrong with me, you know, you know what happened. It happened right there in sixth grade. And, uh, I mean, he's in there digging around. I'm like, ah! And they're, like, holding me down. <laughs> and my mom's there. It's like, this is good for you. <laughs> like I'm, I'm like at a CIA black site, you know, getting, getting uh, tortured. And <clears throat> the doctor explained, if we don't get every single bit of it out, and we close it up, you're going to get an infection, and you're going to be a lot worse off. Uh, and sometimes we don't deal with the emotional wounds we get, and we just want to pretend like they didn't happen and just try to forget about them. And if you're not careful, that infection sets in over time. It's always good to deal with the problems first, get it settled, get true forgiveness, give forgiveness and then get it all cleaned out. That's what the Lord's talking about here. In this passage of Scripture, He's talking about forgiving men of their trespasses. And what does it mean that their Heavenly Father won't forgive you? 
It doesn't mean that he won't forgive you of your eternal sin. It means that you won't have access to everything that God wants to give you. What does unforgiveness cause? It causes broken fellowship, right? It's like a child that says, no, I'm not going to do right. As long as that child is in a state of disobedience, you can't give them the love. You can't give them security. You can't give them all the things that you had planned for them because they're in a state of disobedience. We have to get this state of disobedience fixed. We have to forgive this until we can interact in the relationship we want. And what you find when you read the scriptures is unforgiveness is a sin. Not forgiving people is actually a sin. And imagine, it, it makes a lot of sense that the God who forgave us of all of our offenses against Him expects us to forgive others when they've offended us. Let me make a quick distinction. Forgiveness of offenses is required for us to have peace in our hearts. So that means when someone does me wrong, I have to offer the type of forgiveness that means I'm not going to be plagued by bitterness and anger and frustration my whole life. But that's different than restoration of the relationship. So forgiveness, my forgiving of offenses is required for me to have peace, but repentance by the offender is required for the restoration of relationships. So there are people that have hurt me and offended me that we don't have a close relationship anymore, but it's not because I haven't forgiven them. It's because they haven't asked for forgiveness and tried to heal the relationship. Does that make sense to you? <clears throat> you don't want to have a black a blacklist. You don't want to have this list of, of people you're going to get or people that you're going to get revenge against. Uh, and really why Jesus is telling this to the Jews, Matthew's a book written primarily to the Jews. The Jews had a revenge mindset. And if you look back at, and we won't for time's sake, but Exodus chapter 24, God gave them the civil law of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So basically the civil law was, if you poke my out, eye out, you go to the judge and they're going to poke your eye out. If you cut my hand off, then we're going to go to the judge and they're going to cut your hand off. But this was speaking of civil law to, to help the, the governance of the nation. But the Jews took that as a personal law. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. And matter of fact, that's the way we grew up. It's the way most of us grew up. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you worse. Matter of fact, I'm going to hurt you so bad that you'll wish you'd never hurt me. Well, how's that work out for us? A pretty tough way to live. The eye for an eye was never meant to be a personal code. It was meant to be a law that governed the nation. And Christ came in and told them, you've got to get away from this eye for an eye mindset. If someone hurts you, you forgive them. Matter of fact, you might remember the, the conversation Jesus had with Peter and Jesus told, tells the disciples they need to forgive. And Peter asked the question, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive? Even seven times? And Jesus said, no, Peter, 70 times seven. And Peter's mind just, that's a lot of forgiveness, you know. We have to have the kind of heart that is sincere and clean before God that says, when people come and hurt me, I'm not going to seek personal revenge. I'm going to give my hurt to you, God. I'm going to let you heal me. And I'm going to live without a vengeful heart. And God says, when you forgive that way, 
then I forgive the unforgiveness, and now you and I can have the relationship that I want to have with you as your heavenly father. Does that make sense to you? So we took a lot of time on that because that one's often misunderstood. Let me just quickly give you these last ones in the last five minutes I have. Look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26. We saw number one that our heavenly father forgives. By the way, every dad needs to forgive. Every dad. Uh, You need to have uh, high standards. You need to hold your children accountable. But you also need to have a forgiving heart. Your children want to please you. Don't be too harsh with them. Uh, my children, sometimes they'll, they uh, will feel like they can't do anything right. You know, I just feel like I'm always disappointing you. I just always, I just always feel like I can't do anything right. Said, no, no, you do a lot of things right. I often tell my children, you do most things right. You've just got a handful of things that we have to care for. And it's my job to help you with these things. And they're like, oh, well, that's doable. But if you say things like you never do anything right, or you always, boy, what a terrible It'd be a terrible way for God to treat us, wouldn't it? It'd be a terrible way for us to treat our children. Uh, And I always tell my children, I don't expect you to be perfect, but I expect you to be sincere. I expect you to be honest. I expect you to to want to do the right thing. We all make mistakes. Uh, And we have to help with those things. So number two, our Heavenly Father feeds. We see in Matthew 6, 26, our Heavenly Father feeds Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into the barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are not ye much better than they? So we're going through times of leanness. Inflation's up. Money's not worth I went to the store yesterday, got, got three bags, three paper bags of groceries, and it cost me $149. That may you know, just threw up a little bit in my mouth. It's, just, it's like, it's insanity. It's insanity. You say, where are you shopping? Uh, Macy's. No, I'm not going to make... Uh, <laughs> Savers. Uh, no, it's, it's everything's expensive. Everything's expensive. Uh, and and what, what are we going to do? And how are we going to pay the mortgage? And how are we going to do this? I have bills to pay now that I don't know how to pay. I'm currently pri- trying to pray down. Within the next four weeks, I have to pray down a certain amount of money and trusting God to do that. And he always comes through. Listen, things are tight. And Matthew chapter 6 is reminding us, God takes care of his people. As a good heavenly father, God takes care of his children. He feeds us. I'm not missing too many meals, amen? He clothes us. He gives us shelter. And that's if you have a, a proper relationship with God, you can live in confidence that He's going to take care of you. Look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 32. Matthew chapter 6 and verse uh, 30. Well, look at verse 31. Take, therefore, take no thought, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, wherewithal shall we be clothed? These are all worries, anxieties. Verse 32, for all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. Number three is God knows. Our heavenly Father knows. You can't tell God anything that He doesn't know. He knows your hurts. He knows your pains. He knows what what makes you angry. He knows your bitterness. He knows the state of your heart. He knows every worry and fear. He knows exactly what your bank account is to the penny. He knows exactly what every bill is. He knows the credit card balance. He knows your health. He knows everything. You don't have to explain it to Him. God is the one person in the universe that you don't have to explain what's going on. He already knows. And if you understand Him as your Heavenly Father, that gives you peace because He not only knows, but He cares. That's why it says, take no thought. 
Don't worry about these things. Deal with them, make a plan, pray about them. Don't lose sleep over these things. Verse 33 tells us, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Look at Matthew chapter 15. We'll show you these last few. Matthew chapter 15. We see next our our Heavenly Father teaches. Matthew chapter 12, verse, excuse me, Matthew chapter 15 and verse 12. Then came the disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? So the Pharisees, religious leaders, were unhappy at Jesus' teaching. Jesus responded, verse 13, but he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath planted shall be rooted up. The plants here are speaking of the teachings, the doctrines. And what Christ is saying is, every doctrine that's not of my Father is not going to stand. They didn't like what I taught because they believed things that God didn't teach them. And each one of us believe things that are not from God, and those are the things that are going to make us fall flat on our face. Whenever we accept those things that are from God, when we learn from the Bible, when we learn how to have a family, how to be a good worker, how to be a good father, how to be a good mother, how to run our family, how to have a marriage, how to live, all of these things, then those put us on solid ground, and those are the plants that will stand, those are the doctrines that will stand the test of time. Verse 14, he says, let them alone, let the Pharisees alone. They be the blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, they both shall fall into the ditch. And what's he saying? Uh, ungodly doctrines will not stand the test of time, and the false teachers and those that follow them will fall into the ditch of disaster. How many times do we have to bang our head against the wall doing things that don't work before we change our minds? And every time you say, God, that's not what I believe, that's not the way I've been living, but that's what you said, I'm going to accept that and start living that way, you just kept yourself out of the ditch. You just saved yourself a lot of trouble. Now, the idea here is that the Heavenly Father teaches, and every father is a teacher. Let me ask you, Dad, what are you teaching your kids? You teach them how to cuss, you teach them how to lie, you teach them how to be mean and angry, lose their temper. Years ago, we had a, a couple in my office, and we'd gone through some marriage counseling, so I was very familiar with, with what was going on in their lives. And they came to me and said their young son had just blurted out and started cursing this week. Lost his temper, just blurted out and started cursing. And I knew a little bit about the family and what, what had been going on, and, and I said, where do you think he got that? And the dad's like, I don't know, and the wife kind of looks at him. He said, where do you think he got that? I don't know, I don't know where he got that. And so he kind of, you know, guys are kind of dense, and he kind of catches his wife looking at him like that, and he knows what that look means. He's like, what, you think I... And she's like... And he looked over at me and goes, and I'm like. <laughs> and it was like a light bulb went off, and he said, you know what? He's doing exactly what I do. Here's an uncomfortable truth. Children are a mirror for their parents. When I see things in my children I don't like, it's usually because they're just copying me. It's important that we teach our children the right things. And we do that not by speaking it, but by living it and speaking it. Amen? Our Heavenly Father punishes. Matthew chapter 18, I'll just look at that. Every, every loving parent has to set boundaries for their children and then give them correction when they cross the line. It is not love to let your children do whatever they want. 
It's not love. It's actually a form of selfishness. If you let your children do whatever you want because you want them to like you, you're putting your own feelings above their future. Jails are filled with people who never got taught the truth until they met a judge or a policeman. And your children and my children are going to meet someone in their life that doesn't love them enough to let them go with whatever foolishness they're doing, and they're going to get into a rude awakening. So godly parents set boundaries, loving boundaries, and then we correct them when those boundaries are crossed. We see that in Matthew chapter 18, verse 34 and 35. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Again, this is talking about unforgiveness. It's not talking about eternal salvation. Uh, it is a, a tormenting. When we choose to not forgive, we lose God's help and he actually makes us suffer with our choices until we forgive, and then God gives us His grace uh, to help. Our Heavenly Father sets boundaries, and He offers correction when we cross the line. I can't tell you how many parents I've had sit in my office weeping because their adult children despise them. Despise them, hate them. And here's the one thing they all have in common. They, they all have different things in common, but one thing they all have in common is they always say this, I gave them everything they wanted. And they grow up and hate you. I let them do whatever they... And they grow up and hate you. I gave them everything. And they grow up and hate you. They need boundaries, loving boundaries, and they need loving correction when they cross them. Lastly... We find that our Heavenly Father answers. I'll just read this to you, Luke eleven thirteen. If you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? And this means that God knows our needs and He loves to answer our prayers. Did you know that? Do you know God loves to answer His prayers? Do you know when my kids are in a good place, I love to do things for them? I love, isn't that true? When your kids are... They're doing a good job. They're being respectful. Man, they're, everything's good. We just love to dote on them. We love to do things for them. And God loves to do that too. Man, I, I love answering your prayers. Hey, Dad, can we? Yeah, can we? My son asked me some months ago if we could go down to, to New York City. And you know what? I'm busy. I don't have time to go to New York City. I've lived here 19 years. You know how many times I've been to New York City? One time. I got a sick wife. If she wasn't sick, I'm sure we would have seen the Statue of Liberty. I've never seen the Statue of Liberty. We would have been to Times Square. I'm sure we would have done all these things. But my son said, hey, can, can we go to, to New York City? And I'm like, my first thing is, man, I'm busy and mom's sick and I got a lot going on. But then I thought, you know, he's a good boy. And he never asked for anything. And I talked to my wife about it and we agreed. I'd love to take him to New York City. We love to do things for our, our children and those when we love whenever things are good. And let me just leave you with this idea. God loves to bless you. He doesn't just do it against his will. He loves it. And he'll do more than you ask or think if there's a good relationship there. So we learned about our Heavenly Father. 
He forgives, he feeds, he knows, he teaches, he corrects, he answers. And this <clears throat> gives us a blueprint of how we should be as dads. I want to be a dad that forgives, that feeds, that knows, that teaches, that corrects, that answers. And the more I can be like my heavenly father, then the better dad I can be for my own kids. Amen? And that's a true for all of us. Let's bow. Father, thank you for the truth that we heard today. <clears throat> I pray that you'd help each one of us to know the truth, to submit to it, and Lord, that we can benefit from it. Help us to be good children uh, of yours so that we can experience the fullness of our relationship with you. Help us not to be uh, vengeful. Help us not to harbor bitterness and hurts. Help us to take them all to you so we can get them healed and help us to strive as dads to be a good representation of you as parents to have family your way and just as people lord i pray if there's anyone here that's not sure they're